Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman, from 1966. Oh, wow. Here he comes. I think it's the Spider-Man. This was not the curtain call the cast of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark wanted to hear. Shaken audience members clapping for a 31-year-old Spidey stunt double as paramedics loaded him into an ambulance. It looked like it was supposed to be an acrobatic stunt or something, but the person that was playing Spider-Man fell down, like, through the stage floor. That's a 2011 ABC News clip reporting about the now infamous Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark Broadway show. With a budget of $75 million, it was the most expensive production in Broadway history. The show was troubled from the start, and I'm sure you've heard at least some of the story before, but if not, I covered it way back on episode 16 of Bizarre Albums, so if you want the full, insane story, go back to that episode from late 2019. Trust me, it's unreal. But Spider-Man wasn't the first superhero to have their own Broadway show. Thirty-five years earlier... Superman had the distinction of having the first-ever Broadway superhero musical. Superman had first appeared in the comic book Action Comics No. 1 way back in 1938. The character was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Shuster. Action Comics was initially an anthology series, featuring other stories in addition to Superman. Early stories included a policeman who talked in rhymes named Hayfoot Henry, a magician named Zatara, and even... Vigilante. Vigilante? I I don't know that person. Action Comics would eventually become solely a Superman comic. And Superman became so popular that one year later, he was also given his own comic book, simply called Superman. That same year, a daily Superman comic strip appeared in newspapers. By 1940, Superman was so popular that he got his own radio serial titled The Adventures of Superman. It would end up running for 2,088 episodes over 11 years. And now, Superman. A being no larger than an ordinary man, but possessed of powers and abilities never before realized on Earth. Able to leap into the air an eighth of a mile at a single bound. Hurdle a 20-story building with ease. Race a high-powered bullet to its target. Lift tremendous weights and rend solid steel in his bare hands as though it were paper. Starting in 1941... Paramount Pictures would release a series of 17 Superman theatrical animated shorts. Bud Collier, who'd been the voice of Superman and his alter ego Clark Kent on the radio serial, also provides the voice here. This is a job for Superman. In 1948, Superman would get his first live-action adaptation. Columbia Pictures released a 15-part film serial, with Superman being played by Kirk Allen. He would be uncredited in the actual films, but did get credit on the film posters. For years I've suspected that I came to Earth from the planet Krypton. And now this meteorite seems to prove that. It takes away all my powers that makes me superior to Earthmen. There's no doubt about it. Washington has selected me to guard the relativity reducer ray. 
Nothing must interfere with my ability to discharge my duties. Oh, your great powers must not be destroyed by the activity of that fragment. That's right, Professor. Superman's first feature film, or any other DC Comics character for that matter, would come in 1951. It was a low-budget independent film titled Superman and the Mole Men. In the film, Clark Kent and Lois Lane travel to a small town called Silsby to see the drilling of the world's deepest oil well. But the drilling causes glow-in-the-dark underground beings to explore the surface at night. This causes a panic, and only Superman can prevent a tragedy. This time, Superman would be played by actor George Reeves. Are you all right, Miss Lane? You're going to step aside or we have to make trouble. Put some lead in him, Luke. Mr. Benson tried that once already. It didn't work. Now I'm going to give you one last chance to stop acting like Nazi stormtroopers. Who are you to tell us what to do? All I'm telling you is that that little creature in there has as much right to live as you do. Don't forget, you invaded his world. You sank a pipe six miles into the ground. And when he climbed up, you set dogs on him, shot him. The film would also serve as the pilot for the first Superman TV series, which would begin production immediately after the completion of the film. Phyllis Coates, who played Lois Lane in the film, would also follow Reeves to the TV series. Also using the title The Adventures of Superman, the series would premiere on September 19, 1952. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth justice, and the American way. The show was a success, much to the surprise of the cast. In fact, Phyllis Coates had already committed to other projects, so she left the show after the first season. Noelle Neal, who played Lois in two of the film serials, would replace her as Lois Lane for the remainder of the series, which would run until 1958. In 1959, George Reeves would shoot himself in the head at his home in Los Angeles. Producers of the TV series still thought there was a way to bring the show back, focusing on other characters, but none of those ever saw the light of day. And by the time the 1960s arrived, the Superman comics were still wildly popular. And that's where this story turns to a couple of journalists working for Esquire magazine named David Newman and Robert Benton. They both had dreams of being more than journalists, and they started to write screenplays together. One of those screenplays would be Bonnie and Clyde. But as of 1965, no one had bought it from them. One day, one of the editors at Esquire told them he had some friends he would like them to meet. And these friends happened to be Charles Strauss and Lee Adams, the men responsible for the music and lyrics to the Tony Award-winning Bye Bye Birdie. Newman and Benton felt they needed an idea to bring to Adams and Strauss. Newman had a son who was a big fan of the Superman comics, and he asked his father... Why not make a Superman musical? They then presented this idea to Adams and Strauss, without even talking to anyone about the rights for the character. Adams and Strauss happened to be Superman fans when they were kids. They were interested. Superman editor Mort Weisinger helped them arrange a rights deal. But there were two stipulations. Stipulation one, they could only use a handful of the characters, Superman 
Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, and Daily Planet Editor-in-Chief Perry White. Stipulation 2, it couldn't be called Superman the Musical. And with all of that in place, the four began to write the show. It would eventually get the name It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman. It would open on Broadway at the Alvin Theater on March 29, 1966. And on May 9th, 1966, the cast recording of It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman was released on Columbia Masterworks. The album begins with the overture, which I'll let play as I read the Wikipedia plot synopsis of the show. The plot revolves around Superman's efforts to defeat Dr. Abner Sedgwick a 10-time Nobel Prize-losing scientist who seeks to avenge the scientific world's dismissal of his brilliance by attempting to destroy the world's symbol of good. Additionally, Superman comes into a romantic conflict with Max Menken, a columnist for the Daily Planet newspaper, who resents Lois Lane's attraction to Superman and later teams up with Sedgwick to destroy Superman. This time around, Superman and Clark Kent would be played by Bob Holliday who was also the first actor they auditioned for the role. A few years after this show, Sherwood Schwartz would cast Holiday as Mike Brady on The Brady Bunch, but studio executives overrode the decision and gave the role to Robert Reed. Here's a bit of Bob Holiday singing Doing Good. Every man has a job to do, and my job is doing good. Every night when the job is through, I fold my tights, proud to know I've done all I could. It's a satisfying feeling when you hang up your cape to know that you've averted murder, larceny, and rape. Every man... After multiple cast members perform a song called We Need Him, we get the first solo performance from Patricia Morand, who played the role of Lois Lane and would be nominated for a Tony for her performance. Oh, how I wish I weren't in love with Superman A wasted life is all I've got with Superman To hope that it could ever be Is just a schoolgirl fantasy Oh, is there no one else One of the show's new characters was the lab assistant of Dr. Abner Sedgwick named Jim Morgan. Jim Morgan was played by Don Chastain, an actor and writer who nearly 30 years later would write many episodes of the CBS soap opera As the World Turns. Here, as Jim Morgan, he joins Lois to sing We Don't Matter at All. Baby, you and I, we're just about as special as a walnut or a fly. Getting through to you? Not yet. Dr. Abner Sedgwick was played by Michael O'Sullivan. He would also be nominated for a Tony for this performance. Here, he sings a song about all the winners of the Nobel Prize that he resents. 
This is Revenge. Revenge, revenge. I'll have it on them all. No single slight will I forget. I'll show no mercy, you can bet. They'll all get theirs the day I get. Revenge. That dopey Wolfgang Pauly for his work in Fishon. I used to help that punk with long division. The role of Max Mencken was played by Jack Cassidy. Cassidy also received a Tony nomination for this performance, and this was after already winning a Tony and a Grammy for his work in the 1963 Broadway production of She Loves Me. He's also the father of teen idols David Cassidy and Sean Cassidy. Here, he sings The Woman for the Man. You're packed as solid as a knish But every time I make a pass I get the well-known Freezeroo, what's the bit, kid? I admit, kid, I can't figure you. You're the woman for the man who has everything. Let me show you how to... Linda Lavin is perhaps best known for playing the character Alice on the TV series Alice. Here, she plays a character named Sidney Carlton a secretary at the Daily Planet who has a crush on Clark Kent. But Lavin had really hoped to play Lois. In a 2020 interview with Vulture.com, she said, quote, I took these strips of myself as Lois Lane and glued them to frames in the comic, covering Lois's face with mine, and I sent it to Mr. Prince. He called me after he received it and said, This is brilliant, but you can't be Lois Lane. You're just not Midwestern enough. I was a Jewish girl from Portland, Maine. So yeah, I saw it. End quote. And by the way, the prince she's referring to is the show's director, Hal Prince. Lavin sings the next song, You've Got Possibilities, which was also the song she sang in her audition. The song is considered to be the standout of the show. And the same year, it was covered by Joni Summers, Carol Ventura, and Peggy Lee. In 2005, You've Got Possibilities would be used in an ad campaign for Pillsbury Grand Biscuits. <laughs> Moving on, side one closes with What I've Always Wanted, sung by Patricia Moran. One kiss and something in After side two's orchestral opening, we have It's Super Nice, sung by the company.
Before the show made its Broadway debut, they performed it in Philadelphia. In the 2020 Vulture article, Robert Benton said, quote, We got the worst reviews I ever had in my life from the Philadelphia critics. It was devastating. End quote. After this, a couple of songs were removed, but another was added. So Long Big Guy is one of those, sung by Jack Cassidy. So long, big guy, it's tough to say goodbye. So long, big guy, here's mud in your x-ray eye. Farewell, old pal, you know we'll all miss you. You had your day, so what is there left to say? Sure you were doing swell. As I mentioned before, the show was directed by Hal Prince, a man involved with some of the most famous shows in the history of Broadway, including West Side Story, Cabaret, and Phantom of the Opera. And this show would also receive rave reviews. And even though it wasn't necessarily intended for kids, kids flocked to the show and loved Holiday's performance as Superman. He would regularly invite kids backstage to meet him in character. Strauss told Vulture that Holiday started to believe he was actually Superman. Why can't the strongest man in the world be the happiest man in the world? Why does the strongest man in the world have the heaviest heart in the world? Why must I, the man of steel, as helpless as a man of straw they used to hold me in such awe. One thing I haven't mentioned about the show yet is the flying wings. As the Vulture article points out, it hasn't exactly aged well. The flying wings are a gang of criminal Chinese acrobats who at one point declare that they're going to nuke Metropolis. The flying wings are the only performers on the album credited as their characters' names. That's right! can be lots of fun. Good shot! Thank you! Grunt, that's one that I forgot. Let's not yes. quit now. Uh-oh. I'll let you know when I am done. Come on! Uh-oh. What's wrong? Uh-oh. You kids don't look so hot. Gosh, I'm hungry. I'd sure like a T-bone steak. Oh, bam, son! I haven't felt this good I... since Krypton knows when. Don't you do that. The credited producer of the album is Goddard Lieberstein, who at the time was the president of Columbia Records. He became known for the many original cast recordings that he produced. And Eddie Sauter leads the orchestra on the album. He's best known as a composer and arranger from the swing era. He arranged and composed for legends like Benny Goodman and Tommy Dorsey. Despite the great reviews, the show wouldn't last long. It closed after 129 performances over three and a half months. And at the time, it was Broadway's biggest flop, costing an extraordinary $600,000. The cast recording would go out of print soon after, though it would see a reissue on cassette in 1992, and it is currently streaming on Spotify 
and that version even contains demos of a few of the songs as bonus tracks. In 1975, It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's Superman was made into a TV special that aired on ABC. It had an entirely new cast, some of the script was changed significantly, and some songs were completely cut. And one song that was not cut was the standout, You've Got Possibilities, a song that has long outlasted the show. And in 2011, when she was 74 years old, Linda Lavin would once again record the song for her debut album, Possibilities. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Thaxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums.